0: We'll now turn in our Bibles to our scripture reading. Our first passage will be from Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18. That can be found on page 115. Leviticus 19, verse 9 through 18. It's titled, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no ju- injustice in court, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And we'll also turn to Luke 10, where we will read from verses 25 to 37, and you can find that on page 1032 of your Pew Bible. Luke 10, beginning at verse 25, the parable of the good Samaritan. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Our text will be the last two verses of that passage. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This afternoon, our sermon is entitled, Be a Neighbor. It was written by Pastor Ted Van Ralty and originally preached on June 22, 2003 in Redeemer Canadian Reformed Church in Winnipeg. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. And in both cases, he said that they sum up the Old Testament law and the prophets. He was not teaching anything new. Therefore, the apostle John could write, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. And that was to love one another. I recall speaking to someone a while ago, a member of a Canadian Reformed church This person explained the situation of their family in a congregation on one side of the country. For a full eight months after arriving there, they never went home for lunch on a Sunday. And each time in those eight months, they went to a different family for lunch, to some 35 homes if you tally it all up. They were totally astonished and very thankful You can imagine how welcome they felt, and you can imagine how easily they got to know this new congregation and fit into it. The same family then moved to another part of the country far away. Their new place was closer to where they grew up, but certainly not a congregation that they had ever been in before. After being there for two years, they could count on one hand how many times they had been invited for lunch. And this was not a family to complain. It was not even said bitterly. But the count was three, as far as they could remember. Astonishing, isn't it? But how easily it can happen. How easily we count on someone else to invite them. And how likely it becomes that a few families fulfill that role. Not complaining, but just a few are counted on to do it while others stand by. This is only a small example, but it underlines the command that comes personally to each and every one of us, due to others as you would have them do to you, and love your neighbor as yourself. You do that. Not someone else do that. No, you. We will learn about this from the parable of the Good Samaritan today, applied to us as follows. Let the neighbor be you in order to fulfill the law of God. First point will be live as a neighbor to all, followed by many your neighbors will be. The story Jesus told was in response to an expert in the law asking about inheriting eternal life. Jesus answered by returning the question to see how the man would answer it, and rightly answered by summarizing the law as we heard it summarized this morning. So Jesus simply answered that if he did that, he would live. I think the Lord wanted the man to realize and confess that he was unable of himself to fulfill this. But instead the man asked and who is my neighbor? He had just quoted, Love your neighbor as yourself, which you read today from Leviticus 19, verse 18. So he asked, And who is my neighbor? The lawyer's question sets the stage for the parable Jesus presents. And this question must be understood well. Why did he ask this? The text says to justify himself. The man wanted to declare himself righteous to confirm that he was abiding by this command. For he wanted to start a detailed discussion with Jesus about who deserves to be loved. Who is my neighbor? Means, of course, which people do I have to love as myself? Do I have to love a prostitute as myself? Do I have to love these common, uneducated people as myself? Do I have to love those Samaritans as myself? This expert in the law wanted to start a nitpicky discussion about who could be called his neighbor. This question was a very typical question for a rabbi in those days. There are some rabbis who had decided about how many steps a person was allowed to step for the Sabbath day. There are some rabbis who had different devised values for their oaths. An oath by the hair of their head was hardly binding at all, but an oath by the temple, well, that was quite binding. So you can imagine that they could have held a very lively discussion about who is my neighbor. Maybe you can imagine us having a pretty lively discussion about what you can and can't do on Sundays. We can read in a Jewish apocryphal book that one must not help the sinner. One should not give to the ungodly, hold back his bread and do not give it to him. If you do such a kindness, know to whom you are doing it, do it for a godly man and you will be repaid. That comes from Sirach 12, 1 through 7. In contrast to this though, Jesus had taught that you should not restrict your acts of kindness to those who can repay, but specifically target those who cannot repay. For your reward will be from God. Invite them to your feast. Luke 14, verse 14. This expert in the law undoubtedly thought that a sinner was not his neighbor, and if so, it would be necessary to define just what was a sinner. And it's easy to imagine that every expert in the law would raise the bar just a little higher. I give a tenth of every single little spice I have, so I'm not a sinner. But others, well, my neighbor then is only those who measure up to the same standard of righteousness as I have set for myself. They are worthy of my love. In a very original and powerful way, the Lord Jesus evaded this kind of discussion. He answered the question of who is my neighbor by telling the parable of a man who was going from Jerusalem, traveling northeastward to Jericho. This man had to take the 30 kilometer desert road. Jerusalem stands at an elevation of 2,500 feet above sea level, whereas Jericho is almost 1,000 feet below sea level. So over the 30 kilometers, one travels downhill to a tune of 3,500 feet. Within a kilometer of traveling east out of the Jerusalem, one encounters the desert, and the rest of the way to Jericho is virtually all dry, rocky, and sandy. Along the way, one traveled through the Judean wilderness, an area where David and his band of 600 men used to hide in caves and rocks while Saul was looking for them. The road that was followed had many caves on either side as well as cliffs, rising to the right and to the left. The mountainous territory determined the road's direction and the location. It was a lonely road, dry, hot, it was dusty. Thus, it was an ideal location for bands of robbers to hide among the caves and behind the rocks. A lonely traveler was easy prey, and so they jumped out at the man who was traveling. He was no match for them. They beat him and stripped him of everything they could sell, eat, or wear themselves. And they ran off, leaving him bleeding on the side of the road. They had hit him on the head enough times to knock him out, and he was too sore to move at all. The man lay there semi conscious. A priest came walking by on the same road. Let's say he was on his way to Jericho, but he had left some time after this poor man and was behind him. So he caught up and came upon the poor, bleeding man. He looked, he didn't stop. Instead of helping a fellow Jew, he went by on the other side. How could he really know if this was his neighbor? He kept on going, and if the poor man did see him, he began to give up hope. Then along came a Levite who is a helper of the priest. Both he and the priest know the law of God, they know the command to love their neighbor. They had the office of representing God to his people. The Levite also passes by on the other side. He does not stop to help. He keeps on going. If the poor man saw him, he surely gave up hope. Now he would be left to die. But no, there was a third person approaching. From which direction, it doesn't matter. And his coming at all is really of no account, because he is a Samaritan. He lives in Samaria, between Jerusalem and Galilee. To the Jews, he's a half-breed. One who claims to serve the Lord, but he doesn't really. He's not allowed in the temple. Jewish people are not allowed to associate with him. He's an outcast to the Jews, and likewise, he hates them. So his coming by is of no account. He may spit on the poor Jewish man and continue on his way, but surely he will not help. Yet the Lord Jesus is teaching something with a story, something vitally important. The Samaritan stops his donkey. He sees a poor, bleeding, and beaten man his heart goes out to him. He gets off his donkey. He comes to the poor man and washes his wounds with some wine and with some oil. He soothes the pain and revives the poor traveler. He carefully lifts him up and puts him on his donkey and walks the rest of the way beside him. He helps the man into an inn where he carefully nurses him that night, helping him to begin his recovery. The next morning he leaves money with the innkeeper to pay for the room, the man's food, and whatever he will need until he is well enough to walk around again. Basically, he sets the man up with a private hospital room. And then Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The answer is obvious, the Samaritan. The expert in the law does not actually want to say the Samaritan. So he paraphrases and says, the one who had mercy on him. The effect of Jesus' story and his question was to totally change the question of the expert in the law. The man wanted to know who was his neighbor. He wanted to know who he was supposed to love as much as he loved himself. Jesus did not answer who was the man's neighbor so much more so much as who the man should act as a neighbor towards. The lawyer was suggesting limits to his love, He was focusing attention on the worthiness of the object of love. But Jesus turns this around. He focuses on the condition of the heart of the one who is doing the loving. Which of these three acted as a neighbor? Which of these three had the heart of a neighbor? The question is not who was worthy of my love. It is rather, have I the kind of love that seeks the good of all men under all circumstances? Love is not that I meet a certain preset level and then I'm satisfied with myself. No. Love forgets itself in the face of another's need. Our Lord exposes our hearts by this parable. He exposed that man's heart. We're forced to ask ourselves, what would we do if we were there walking along that road? And we know we cannot pass by. It doesn't matter who's on the roadside, we must help. We must be a neighbor to all. Our calling is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that neighbor is always around. That neighbor is around in the form of your mom or your dad. That neighbor may be your husband or your wife, your children, your students, your teacher, your fellow employee, your employer, your employees, even your physical next door neighbor. Your neighbor may be the man on the street with nothing. Your neighbor may be the stranded traveler. There is no question about who your neighbor is. He or she is whomever you meet, especially those in need. Their need, need may be physical. They could be poor. It may be emotional. It may be spiritual. The rich have needs too. We should not let fear of anything stop us. We should overcome the thinking of the crowds who all pass by, and we should stop to help. The Lord may have set his angel there to test us. In the year 2002, a woman named Sandra Berg, aged 54, had just received a knee operation. After the surgery, she was getting restless and wanted to get out of her Ottawa apartment. She was finally feeling well enough that she went out for a stroll to buy a few things around in the corner store. It was evening. Light snow was falling at a temperature of about minus 14. On the way back, she decided to cross over a snowbank. Alas, she lost her footing and fell into it. Unable to get up, she lay there. Cars drove by. For three days, many people walked by. The snow began to cover her. It was a busy intersection, but no one stopped. Not one. There was no Good Samaritan. She died under a lamp next to a travel agency and a row of townhouses, a few metres from the traffic lights and centimetres from the road, in Ottawa, the capital city of Canada. You sure would not want to be one of those people who walked by there. For everyone who walked by, the woman was their neighbour. She was mere centimetres from the very road and a few metres from traffic lights. Anyone who saw her and did not help Set aside the commandment of our Lord that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, that's an obvious example. But there are millions of opportunities that all of us miss. Jesus said, Do this, and you shall live. We must admit that with all our shortcomings and selfishness, we have not done this. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus' parable is good for us too, it is also good within the church. Your neighbor is whomever you meet and help, and that will begin in your own family and in the church of the Lord. Maybe new people have come to the church. What about members who drive pretty far to the services? However small, these are examples. Hospitality is actually very important. Do to others what you would have them do to you. What would you like in a new congregation? What would you like when visiting strangers? How can you show that you have been loved by God? This is where it starts. The love of Christ has been put upon you. We love because he first loved us. He did not first evaluate our worthiness. Rather, he acted out of himself. He is our good Samaritan. So we are to act out of him and his love when we are called to love others Even at this moment, we are not perfectly fulfilling the law of love. But that is why he came, that he might cover our sins and wash our wounds. He came to cover the great sin of our lack of love. He also had a reason in mind. He wished to send us up on our way, to supply us with our needs for the journey, to have us recommit our lives to the principle of love. He washed away your sins so that without the burden of them, you could totally commit yourself to loving God above all and your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, the Lord's message in the parable is, let the neighbor be you. This has two sides. For those who trust in their own good standing, he challenges them to realize their horrendous sinning, their self-love and their selfishness. For those who have come to know their sins, he promises to wash them away. He will tend to you. Stricken and beaten by sin, and he will so completely bless you that he will have the right to say, Now let that neighbor be you, in order to fulfill the law of God. Recommit yourself to doing this. Show mercy, show compassion, show hospitality and friendliness. Did you notice that this parable is full of actions? There are few words, almost all actions. That is because a nice feeling towards someone does nothing for them. If you only tell your enemy you love him, he will laugh at you and mock you. But if while saying very little you perform an act or deed of kindness towards him, he will have nothing to say. You have just proved that you are living and acting out of a power source that he knows nothing of. Love is a verb. Love is expressed by one's activities that is why love is intric- intricately connected to the law and must be. For while faith is of the heart, love is of the deeds. Just as faith without works is dead, so faith without love is dead. Do not say, Go on your way, be warm and well fed. Do something. Feed them, clothe them, bind up their wounds. That is love. The Lord Jesus died not just to give his spirit for our faith, but also for our love. We love because he first loved us, and we must love. It's imperative and obligation. Let the neighbor be you in order to fulfill the law of love. And then you will be blessed with many neighbors. I think here of the parable of the Lord Jesus about the shrewd manager, Luke 16, verse 1-9. through He was being sacked from his job, so before he was gone, he called in some of his corporate customers and negotiated a reduction of all their bills. He was sacked from his job, but he had many people lined up who owed him a favor. The point is not whether he acted legally or not. The point is that he made many friends in his acts of kindness. The Lord there recommends that we should use worldly wealth to help those in need. Admittedly, we do not find this matter of making neighbors in the parable of the good Samaritan. It is however a kind of side benefit. Imagine that the waylaid man would imagine what the waylaid man would do for the Samaritan. Imagine the waylaid man was wealthy. A month later the Samaritan might find a donkey loaded with a feast at his door and at his service and a servant to wait on him. And this might be repeated year after year. Now let us be clear, the Samaritan may not and must not first check whether his neighbor is rich or poor. In the parable, he couldn't anyways, for the man was stripped, and then all men looked the same, rich or poor. He wasn't even allowed to check first. And yet, by helping in a time of need, by doing the deeds of self-sacrifice and love, That Samaritan will have many others who are ready to be a neighbor to him in his time of need. Let us also be very clear here. The Lord Jesus said that it is better to help those who are not able to pay you back. That's the whole point here, too. Don't ask who your neighbor is, but ask if you yourself are willing to act as a neighbor should. To fulfill the second table of God's law and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the question for you. But we may also be comforted that those who follow in the ways of the Lord are blessed, and here, too, that will be evident. The woman, Tabitha, or Dorcas, had done so many good deeds for many church members that when she died, they petitioned the apostle Peter for her life. The widow showed him all the clothes she had made for them and cried for their loss. This moved Peter to call her back from the dead by the power of the risen Christ, those widows could not give any physical things back to Tabitha but they gave their hearts for her. They loved her, would have comforted her. As Christians, they were rich in their poverty. A hard-working man who has been moderately successful in business can also be very demanding. He may say of others in need, they've always been as poor as church mice, and so he justifies himself like the lawyer. They are not worthy of my love. They should get their lives together. He turns away in disdain, yes, even from fellow church members. But then let him know that they may but then let him know that they may welcome many into the heavenly dwellings, but not him. He is not living by faith, because he is not expressing his faith by acts of love. He is not loving his neighbor as himself. From the little things to the big things. Be the neighbor the Lord calls you to be. Go and do like the good Samaritan. You can because Christ loved you. You must because he gave his spirit for you to, for you to, to do this. Doing this through Christ your Savior and his love, you will fulfill the law of his love. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your holy and divine word. Help us to meditate upon the things we have heard out of your word and with the gracious help of your Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives so that our understanding may grow, our praise increase, and our holiness holiness strengthened. Give us the strength to be the neighbor you call us through your law to be. Through your word, by faith, May Christ himself dwell richly in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.